Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey all, Baruch Halevi, be here, and I am excited to talk to you today in this podcast and video about the Defiant Spirit and Enneagram One. We're just going to jump right into it. Um, for those of you who are listening, I am sharing some slides from my newest program, Defy Your Number, and around Enneagram One, but you can certainly just listen and I think hopefully get a lot out of it. You can also jump over to YouTube or you can um, sign up for the Defy Your Number program. I'm really proud of the Defy Your Number program. I have been working on this for about a year to formalize my relationship with Viktor Frankl. As you know, I'm a student of Dr. Frankl's logotherapy, living with meaning at the center of our lives and bringing that over to the Enneagram, which has been around for thousands of years, <clears throat> merging these two systems. It hasn't been done and I did it for me personally, because I believe so deeply in them. I think of Frankel as um, the why. He talks a lot about um, he or she who has a why to live for, can endure anyhow. So what's your why? And then the Enneagram is more of the how. How do I live out my purpose, my meaning? Where do I lose myself? How do I find myself? So bringing these together in a very succinct way. I mean, the program is long and extensive, but the concept is succinct, easy. And it comes down to, do you want to live in reaction or do you want to live in response? And response means what Frankel talks about is responsibility, right? Not just how we think of responsibility, but true responsibility, responsibility, the ability to respond, to choose our response. That's our power. That's the only power we have is our ability to choose our response. So bringing these together in the Enneagram format and fashion, and you can take the assessment with me online over at defiantspirit.org. You'll get back an executive summary and your um, Enneagram um, core type, the booklet on your core type, and then there are phases and it walks you through. I'm right now putting together videos, but you don't need the videos at this moment to get going. At the very least, you'll have these, which are podcasts and videos around the basics of each type. I'm not going to go too deep down the rabbit hole. But in this one, I want to talk about Enneagram One. And Enneagram One, for those of you who are just joining us in this on this journey, uh, you can see I have my new setup behind me. I got my new logo. Um, I want to share with you a little bit about Enneagram One. Enneagram One in my system is called the Reformer. In some systems, it's called the Perfectionist. The Reformer, I think, is a little more aspirational, wanting to reform, to improve the world around them. Perfectionist feels a little pejorative, a little negative, and it doesn't fully fit in to at least the way I want to understand the Enneagram, which is where are we going? Where can we aspire to? So the Enneagram one, the reformer, 
these are some famous ones, at least as far as I've been able to gather. It's not scientifically validated, but I'll read to them to you um, if you're listening. And you can decide if they are or they're not ones based on what you know. But uh, I, I've gotten some of them from personality databases, and some of them are self-proclaimed. So they've taken the test. Tina Fey, Enneagram 1. Hillary Clinton, Tom Brokaw, and Elon Musk. Elon Musk is argued to be a five. I'm going to do a podcast with my friend Michael Feiner, and we adapt the Enneagram to wealth called Wealth360. He's a financial expert. And we'll talk about Elon Musk from a wealth perspective, as long, uh, along with Martha Stewart, who's also a one. Um, Brene Brown, she says she's a one. And um, I think it's surprising, actually, to some people. But when you really listen to how methodical she is and what she has done to a to a space around shame, as a shame researcher, as she calls it, around um, bringing method to something that really was never even addressed, let alone systematized. She's got a lot of one in her. Natalie Portman, Matt Damon. Matt Damon tends to play ones. Um, I'm trying to think of that um, character where he's a spy. Very one-ish. I mean, just rigorous. Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian one. There are quite a few comedian ones. Uh, Bill Maher down below, political commentator, comedian. Um, but Jerry Seinfeld's a one. I would say most comedians are sixes or sevens, but I think one might be my third place. So um, Jerry Seinfeld. And forgive me, I was told I need to say the type, not just the number. Understandable. Lots of us are new to this. So the sixes are oftentimes called the loyalist or the skeptic. And the sevens are the enthusiasts or the optimist. Harrison Ford, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy really played a one in um, Spock, although he could be argued to be a five, but I think very one-ish, a five being the um, investigator. Al Gore, his work, especially around climate change, very one-ish. Amy Coney Barrett, she's just one example of um, the newest example on the Supreme Court, but I would imagine half Supreme Court justices have been ones. Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall was a one. Um, who's the first female? Um, Sandra Day O'Connor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's in here later on a little more in depth. So lots of judges, certainly Supreme Court justices, ones. Martha Stewart again for the highs and lows. We'll talk more about on ones. Um, Michelle Obama, Jimmy Carter, maybe argued as a two, but I think he's a one. I believe he's the only presidential one. Bill Morgan, Catherine Hepburn, Jane Fonda. So the list goes on and on. These are just some. I've actually tasked my kids who are teens and now 20s to come up with their generation's versions of these because I'm pretty limited. I don't uh, do well with, you know, celebrities much under the age of about 40 or so. So uh, it's reflected in the program. But I think most of you watching probably resonate with certainly the, the, the selection of famous ones. Okay, here's some core values. Every Enneagram type in my system has a page like this with some famous examples and some core values. This is page one. So this is bare bones, what you really need to know to get a flavor of the ones. And again, this is all aspirational. There's some shadow work that comes in in the coming slides, but not yet, not here. This is really the, the highest of what a one aspires to. So integrity. Ones are ones just have a deep integrity to them. They, my son is an Enneagram one, Yehuda, and he really um, 
embodies this this integrity. You can tell when his integrity is questioned in question or questioned by others. He is almost like the oxygen just gets sucked out of his system. Like he can't breathe when you start attacking his integrity. It doesn't mean he's perfect by any means. Perfectionist. He wants to be, but he makes as many, you know, many mistakes as my other kids who aren't ones. But something about it really wreaks havoc on his being when it's perceived as he's being malicious or going against principles, his principles, our principles, right? Just something happens to a one where they, they begin to crumble. And I think that's a beautiful thing to crumble when you feel like you're in violation of principles or when other people, when you've let other people down. Now, there's a shadow side to that. Ones can become incredibly anxious. They can look a lot like sixes, the, um, the loyalist, loyal skeptic, but it's coming from a different place. And that's part of the beauty of the Enneagram is it gets into intention. What's driving a person, the, their, their, their why? So a six is coming from a very different intention than a one. And one is coming from, they want to be good. This is another value that I'm reading from. They, they long to be good. You know, they really think in terms of, of right and wrong. They live sometimes to a fault, black and white. There's very few shades of gray if a one isn't conscious in reaction Everything I'm saying, again, is more of unconscious or autopilot. And when they choose, they can defy some of these challenging aspects of their number, just like we can all defy our numbers. Um, but there's a, there's a goodness, a call to be good. So the ones are, are very modest. You know when you're with a one, um, sometimes because of both these the principles, the integrity, but also a modesty. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, as many of you know, not too far, maybe a couple miles from Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, I believe, um, I don't know. Sometimes I think he's a five, sometimes I think he's a one. And I think he's a one sometimes because of this modesty piece. He's obviously um, one of the world's wealthiest people, and yet he doesn't live like it. It's just a very, he's a modest person. There's a modesty with ones justice. Ones are justice oriented, you know, back to the Supreme Court justices. They, with this right and wrong comes, uh, you know, this desire to implement it. That's back to this reformer. They want to make sure that the world operates efficiently. That's another piece of a one, right? Principles and efficiency, and to make sure that the systems, the checks and balances, the the whole is working so that justice is served. It doesn't mean they don't violate it, Martha Stewart, but it does mean that they um, are very much committed to it, disproportionately than other numbers. And Martha Stewart did her time. She went to prison, but she also um, paid the price and she's back. And, you know, we all deserve a second chance. Martha Stewart, I think, is an example of a great one who made mistakes and um, now is um, living, I believe, a, a better life because of it, because she wants to be good. So those are some core um, principles of a one, if you will. A couple other pieces of a one. This isn't a deep, deep dive. This is, you know, like a, a taste of, of one. But every page I have in the fire number has interesting, well, I, I believe they're interesting, or I wouldn't have put them in here, interesting trivial kind of things to give you a flavor of the type. So on this page here, some of the trivial things. Ones, if they were an animal, 
I think. It's not scientifically validated, but they would be a, an eagle to me. Eagles are regal. Eagles are kind of soaring above the rest. And there is this piece of a one on the shadow side. They can oftentimes come across a little bit as as distant, as, as better than, as arrogant if they don't check that. Um, but this really this precision, right? This, um, this seeing, this ability to see clearly. A country, I think, is Switzerland would be a one-ish country. Very much precision and order and principles. Again, shadow sides. There is an arrogance that I've heard and experienced around Swiss, Swiss um, you know, a better than. This perfection, we are perfect and you're not kind of a thing. A cleanliness to the point of an obsession. Ones can tend towards OCD, right? Certainly OC, obsessive compulsive, fixating on some of the details and, you know, again, the shadow side, the reaction, if they're not careful, escalating into this perfectionist. And that's the negative side of that precision and perfection. Profession. Uh, don't have any data on whether or not most surgeons are ones. I would imagine more than their share of surgeons are ones. I imagine you have to be very detail-oriented. You know, Enneagram 7, the enthusiast, the optimist, can be a, and we all can be anything, and they can defy their number, but they would have to work exceptionally hard to pay attention to details. I'm not sure I'd want my um, surgeon to be a 7. Now, look, if they're qualified and they're great and I'm going under, fine. All things equal, I'd rather hear the last words um, before I you know, take that final uh, breath and go under the knife that, oh, and by the way, B, I'm an Enneagram One. That would make me feel secure. One's, again, all about order. Like, you know, where's that scalpel? Oh, shit. Right? We're missing a scalpel. Like, uh, like a, uh, you know, after I'm all sewn up. A seven, eh, might happen, might happen. So, um, again, Cliche and stereotypes, yes, but I still think there's something to be said. Security, knowing that a one did the surgery or a one built the bridge or a one, you know, was head of your compliance team. You need, you need ones in your life to, to have that sense of security of diligence. Okay, a few more ideas about the one. This is page two of Defy Your Number. By the way, there's like 40 some pages, so I'm not giving away too much, but these are the basics. And if you want more, you'll dive deeper with me and Defy Your Number. So here's some core components of what drives one. You need to know this. If, you're, if you are a one, you already know this about yourself. And if you have a one in your life, and I'm sure you do, it's important to know. Core idealized self, pretty much as it sounds, this is how if they're unconscious and they're not thinking about it, this is the tape that's playing in the back of their head all the time. I am good. I am responsible. I am prepared. I am good. I am responsible. I am prepared. I mean, just imagine over and over on a loop. If they don't check that, not a bad thing at all. It's a great thing. But it's been said, I think Beatrice Chestnut, who's a famous Enneagram teacher, said, our work with all Enneagram types is to help them become better. But with an Enneagram 1, in some ways, it's to help them become worse. And I, I've seen this with my son Yehuda because he has this tape playing and it can lead him to overwhelm, back to that anxiety. It can be too much pressure. Ones put so much pressure on themselves. I have two ones I'm working with right now in executive coaching and both of them are their hardest critic. 
right? They're, they're their most intense critic. You can't imagine how much criticism goes on inside of a one directed toward the, towards themselves, especially if they're a certain subtype. And all those subtypes are self-preservation, another conversation for another day. And they really are beat themselves up. So, you know, with Yuda, he's in college right now, and I have to remind him, take a deep breath, take it easy, right? Enjoy, relax. Now doesn't mean he's only um, working diligently all the time. Right? They can just go the opposite direction and become overindulgent, but they beat themselves up when they're spending too much recreational time. They're hard on themselves. Okay, so that's the core idealized self. Core worldview of a one. Perfect, perfection, right? That the world should be perfect and that others should be perfect. And I should, you know, if I'm a one, I should be perfect. And my duty, if they're not careful, is to perfect you, to perfect it, to perfect them, to perfect myself. You can start to lose your, your mind. You lose your breath, lose right, your sanity with all that intensity, all those shoulds. Enneagram ones are the type most likely to should all over you, to should all over the situation, to should all over themselves. And the should, 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 should. When I was a rabbi, I saw this come up a lot around grief and mourning. They were oftentimes the type that would come in and start shooting on the situation. You should do this. You should not do that. You should get remarried. You should stop mourning, whatever it might be. You could feel the one in reaction, unconscious, unhealthy, not doing the work, start to shut themselves down, to shut other people down around them with all of these impossible standards, the should factor. When they do the work, they realize that there are very few shoulds in life. There are get-tos, there are sometimes there are have-tos, but should, that's a word we need to really check and reserve for special occasions. Also, that down here in the right-hand corner, if you're looking at it with me, the core work of a one, as I see it, is to become perfectly imperfect. And that is simply to say, to accept the idea, was it Constantine? I can never remember who said this. I think it was Constantine or Voltaire or somebody, somebody old and dead, said, perfection is the enemy of the good. Let me say it again. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Was it Aristotle? I don't know. You'll tell me. But ones really need to understand that if you want to be perfect, right, oftentimes it'll come the, at the expense of being good. If you want to produce something that's not perfect, or that is perfect. You'll you may never produce it. You may never create it. I've talked to I've got fire alarms going off here. I got I've talked to many 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 ones who end up putting off delaying a book they want to write, uh, a relationship they want to pursue, uh, a job they want to go after. They push it off because it's time's not perfect. They're not perfect. It's not perfect, and eventually they end up. Right, sacrificing something that could have been good. No, not perfect. I have two books that have come out. Neither of them are perfect. Didn't stop me. I had to get them out to the world. I just had to. So they're good. They're not perfect. So perfection is the enemy of the good. Ones need to ease up on themselves, on others, on life, and accept that they are perfectly imperfect. 
couple other things here and then we will wrap up. Um, core orientation, what does that mean? Every Enneagram type really talks about where do they orient themselves? I think of it as, at least on Mac um, that I use, in the photo editing thing, when you have a picture, you can put that focal point around the picture, right? Where do you put it? And it kind of shifts the picture in that direction. Well, for Enneagram ones, they are conflicted. Um, some types put it on others, right? So Enneagram twos, the helpers, Enneagram nines, the peacemakers. Their initial reaction is to put their attention on others. What do others needs? need to the point of self-neglect. It doesn't mean they're better people because they do that. It just means their their work is to bring it back to themselves to get their needs met. Other types put it on themselves. So Enneagram 7, the enthusiast, is self-referencing, self-orienting. Enneagram 4 is self-referencing, the, um, the um, creative, romantic uh, individualist. So Enneagram ones are conflicted, and you can feel this conflict in a one. It's almost like they're torn because they're self-oriented. They are. But then they feel bad for being so self-oriented, and then they put it on other. Or then they put it on other or the system. Like They'll walk into a room and see what's not perfect. So their orientation goes out to the world, and then they'll come back to themselves. You don't have to fully understand it, but you do have to understand that ones live with tremendous conflict in their life. Trying to figure out this balance between their, their, their needs themselves and taking care of others, taking care of the world around them. And so my heart really feels for ones because they have such a deep sense of duty and honor and service like sixes, like the loyalists, like the, um, yeah, the loyalists. But they also have a deep sense of self. And finding that balance is a very hard thing for a one. So I work, do a lot of work with ones on finding that balance. Um, yeah, that's good. There's lots more in here that we could and you will go through when you um, walk through this process. Just a little, you know, kind of teaser of things that are come. A few other substantial pages and then we get to this one I have one of these in every um, Enneagram with any every Enneagram type and for those of you who are listening it's the bonus page that I created TV's favorite ones and big screen favorite ones so I'll just give you a taste of some of these and you can figure out the rest on your own but here are some ones as I see them on in TV um, any of you, well, Seinfeld, because I mentioned him earlier. So Seinfeld has a one-ish humor. It's dry. Ones can be incredibly funny. They're usually sarcastic. It's more of a cutting kind of a humor. It's not like slapstick. They're more of a serious type. So Seinfeld, very, um, very one-ish in his, in his, um, in his humor. Um... Batman I have on here. That's the old school Batman. I would say newer Batman is a little darker, more edgy, but this is, I forgot his name, but he was in the original TV show Batman. Um, the older versions of Batman, I think with Michael Keaton, maybe more one-ish, but then the newer versions again are darker, more brooding, like eights or fours. If you saw the Lego movie, that was definitely a f eight or four 
version of Batman, the original superheroes were mostly one-ish. So Superman, he's over there on the big screen side. Could have put him on the TV side. Um, superheroes tend to be one-ish, at least the original superheroes, the way they were conceived. And maybe we'll do an entire show on, on the, the evolution of superheroes because it's interesting. But they really, the um, superheroes were created in response in the middle of the 20th century to, um, to evil, to systems that became corrupt. So the original spider, um, Superman, was he was one of the original superheroes, was fighting Hitler, was fighting Nazis. Not coincidental, mostly created by Jews as a kind of a hope, a plea to fight Nazism. And so Superman's original um, foe was was Nazis and was uh, was Hitler, and it was really a good versus evil, which again is back to a one kind of conception of the world, a black and white, and maybe that was a black and white war. I think it was, but you know now things are much more nuanced and complex. But Superman, at least the original conception, Batman, um, Captain America was also fighting Nazis. Really a black and white, good guy, bad guy, very simple, sometimes simplistic worldview couple others on here that strike me as one i saw the movie um with matt damon marsh uh the martian he's on here it's interesting lots of um actors or actresses play their enneagram type matt damon is a one this is a one movie if you haven't seen it he goes to mars he gets stuck on mars i'm not really ruining too much he gets off of mars against all odds and how does he do it through discipline through rigor through the structure right that it saves him so ones are incredibly structured i'm going to leave the rest for you to watch um, some really great examples of ones here and a lot of fun to watch these shows to start to think about the enneagram through the lens of fiction big screen or TV, because it brings to life the flavor of the Enneagram type. Remember, you are not your type. This is how you react. This is how you respond, but it isn't who you are. And when we can learn the Enneagram, we can start to have a new roadmap, a new set of tools, how to navigate, how to stop reacting, to become more conscious, to defy our number, to choose our type. So that is Enneagram 1 overview. I am sure we'll revisit it time and time again. But as we build our library together and, and go on this journey together, I wanted you to have at least a 30,000 foot view of Enneagram One. So if this is you, you can um, continue to explore. Jump over to defiantspirit.org. Take the Enneagram assessment, not the free one. That's fine. You get what you pay for. But the paid one, Reach out to me over there and I'll get you set up for the true Enneagram assessment. You take it, then you get into your particular number and you will take a journey with me on, in the Enneagram as you learn how to defy your number and live your spirit. Until the next time, right? that's what I hope you will do. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit 
defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit. Thank you.